as we stand let's pray heavenly father we thank you for the gift of your word we thank you that you are a speaking god we thank you for this time we have now to look at the beginning of the book of proverbs we pray that you would open our eyes indeed as we've sung in that song that you would help us to see what you're saying to us in your word so we might draw near to you and know you better we pray in jesus name Amen. Amen. Please do sit down. And on page 635, if you'd like to turn back to that, the beginning of the book of Proverbs. It is a new year, it is a new start, it is a new minister, and it's a new book of the Bible for a new preaching series. But why the book of Proverbs? What can this book of ancient wisdom hope to teach 21st century northwest London. Maybe you've dipped into Proverbs from time to time. Uh, there are phrases, there are whole Proverbs that have kind of entered the English language. People don't always realise where they come from. Iron sharpens iron. Spare the rod, spoil the child. A soft answer turns away wrath. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Pride comes before a fall. These are all things that, you know, even our non-Christian friends would probably be vaguely familiar with those kinds of things. All very helpful and true. But actually, when you think about it, there's plenty of wisdom available outside the Bible as well, isn't there? You know, what do people say? Well, it's a false economy to buy cheap shoes, someone said to me. I don't know whether you agree with that. We can debate that one. Never skip breakfast. It's another good one. Or the advice I got from my father-in-law uh, in his wedding speech, you'll be fine if you can just learn five words. I'm sorry, you were right. <laughs> well, all good wisdom. Perhaps the fact that the book of Proverbs is old is a sort of selling point. You know, you know new wisdom, that's, not, you know, that, that's a bit suspicious. Old wisdom, good. But actually, other ancient wisdom is available, isn't it? So, you know, there's, there's all, kind of, all those Greeks and Romans and things. What about uh, Horace? who wrote Carpe Diem, Fish of the Day. No, not Fish of the Day. Seize the Day. Seize the Day, because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Uh, Socrates, the only true wisdom is in knowing you know nothing. Very deep. Uh, Plato, the greatest wealth is to live content with little. What, what, what is different about this wisdom that we have in front of us in the book of Proverbs. We, we, we might think of wisdom as a terribly sort of serious activity. You've got to be really serious, you're going to be wise. But actually the book of Proverbs, it can be a little bit surprising sometimes in the way that it put things, puts things to sort of grab our attention. Here are just a few at random. Uh, Proverbs chapter 11 verse 22, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. Uh, Proverbs 26:18, like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbour and says, I was only joking. Uh, chapter 27, verse 14, I really like this one. If a man loudly blesses his neighbour early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. One for flatmates and husbands and wives to think about. Um, Proverbs, uh, the, the, the very next verse, a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. 
I, I wouldn't know. Uh, Proverbs, I wouldn't know. Proverbs 21 verse 9 and 25 verse 4. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Again, uh, there are some positive things though about marriage. Uh, Proverbs 31 verse 10. A wife of noble character who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Of course, one answer to why we should read and study this particular book is that, well, it's in the Bible. That's one answer, isn't it? You know, which means that however much we may be puzzled by it, it's just not the same as the wisdom of the philosophers of whatever era you might be talking about. That's just people who've, who've sat down and thought hard and come up with things. This is different. This is wisdom from God. It's not the same as the wisdom of the magazines at the supermarket checkout or the Huffington Post or the Economist or the Spectator or wherever it is that you might turn. It's not the same even as the wisdom of good, trusted friends, as good as that can be. It is the word of God. But actually, Proverbs goes further than that as well. It doesn't just say, you know, this is the word of God, so get on with listening to it. Actually, it gives us a lengthy introduction to the whole book, to get us to read it, and and more than that, to show us how to read it, and and what will happen when we read it. When you think of the book of Proverbs, if you you know anything about it, you you might just think of that sort of random list of all the different Proverbs, one after the other. Maybe you've done that in a sort of Bible in a year, and you try to read through it, and you read, I've got to read chapter 15, and you just read, oh my goodness, there's sort of 30 verses all completely unconnected to each other you know how does this work well actually that is largely chapters 10 to 30 and we're not going to look at those chapters not in this uh, series but we're going to focus this term on on chapters 1 to 9 which is like a manifesto a long introduction to kind of um, say to us king solomon is saying to us do you have wisdom? Do you know what wisdom is? Do you know how much you need wisdom? Do you know how, much, how foolish you are if you don't have wisdom? Do you realise what a treasure this is? Do you, do you crave this and see that it's worth having above anything else? He's trying to just get us to want wisdom above everything else. And that's what we're going to be looking at, to try and get us ex- excited about it. Um, over the next few weeks and and these then these seven verses at the beginning of chapter one are an introduction to the introduction so that's what we're doing this evening and these uh, verses answer three questions they're on the handouts if you look at that three questions about the book of proverbs that we're going to look at now okay so the first one is where do they come from these proverbs verse one if you have a look at that the proverbs of solomon son of David, king of Israel. So, so right from the start, we see that, that, that the book of Proverbs isn't given to us as, as a book of timeless wisdom, as if it sort of drops out of the sky. Um, actually, like every other book in the Bible, it comes from a particular historical context. And we need to understand it in that context in order then to consider what it means for us. Actually, that, that's a basic principle of how we read the Bible, isn't it? So we need to think, okay, who was this Solomon? What do we know about him? Well, he was the son of King David. And, okay, what was David promised? Do you remember? David was promised a son. He was promised a great son who would be greater than him, who would come after him. And so when Solomon comes along, the big question is, is this the one? Is this great David's greater son? And so Solomon does some great things. He builds the temple 
and uh, on the whole, he did some, some, some pretty good things in his life. But actually, he's known particularly for two choices that he made. Do you know what those two choices were? The first choice is in 1 Kings chapter 3. The Lord appears to Solomon in a dream, and he says, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Whatever you want. What would you ask for if you know, somehow God came to you and said, you can have anything you like. Just ask for it. What would you ask for? Well, Solomon uh, doesn't do what he could have done. And then God points this out a bit, bit later in that chapter. He said, well, he could have asked for long life or, or wealth, or he could have asked for the death of his enemies. What does he ask for? He asks for wisdom. He asks for discernment in administering justice. That is his first choice. And God says, fantastic choice. He chose to ask for wisdom. Big tick for Solomon on his first choice. But then there's his second choice that comes later. And do you know what that was? It was his, his choice of wife. Actually, not wife, wives. And, and in fact, not just wives, but concubines as well. 700 wives and 300 concubines. As I once heard the former principal of Oak Hill College put it, this would have significantly reduced his time for reading. <laughs> But actually, the issue wasn't just the number of wives. The issue in particular was that they were foreign wives. And for God's people, Israel, intermarriage was the first step to disaster. You know, it wasn't like someone from Britain marrying someone from another country today. That's not the point at all. The issue was spiritual compromise. Again and again, marriages to non-Israelites led the Israelites to worship the God's of other nations. That's why so often today Christians are encouraged to think very carefully about their choice of marriage partner. Marrying a non-Christian is like, is like the Israelites marrying outside of their people. It encourages us away from the God that we worship. And that's what happened to Solomon. His heart was led astray to worship other gods. And we'll see a lot more about that as we go through these chapters of Proverbs. But these uh, two choices that Solomon made determined his life. He chose to ask for wisdom, big tick, and yet he also chose foreign wives, big no-no. Now, was he great David's greatest son? Well, he looked like he might be for a while, and yet, in the end, he turned out to be like every other son or daughter of Adam that has ever lived, capable of much that was good and wonderful and praiseworthy, and yet also deeply flawed, compromised by a sinful heart that led him astray. So as we come to Proverbs, we know Solomon was wise, and yet we, we, we also know that we're waiting for someone wiser. We're waiting for great David's greatest son. And we find then in the book of Proverbs, much of it is addressed to a son. He says, my son, listen, listen, my son. As if flawed Solomon was, is saying, my son, I tried to do it right, but, but I wasn't able to. Here is wisdom. Here is the way you, my son, should go. I think uh, parents sometimes can identify with that, with that feeling of do as I say, don't do as I do. I, I, I make mistakes, but I kind of know what I ought to be doing, even though I don't always do it. And you say to your children, this is what you need to be doing. This is where you need to be going. And that's kind of how Solomon is. He's flawed, but he's trying to point 
in the right direction. But we also come to Proverbs as New Testament believers, knowing that great David's greatest son wasn't his son Solomon. It wasn't Solomon's son either. It was Jesus, of course. So ultimately, this wisdom points to him. We we heard in the New Testament reading, Jesus is our wisdom. Chapter 1, verse 30 in 1 Corinthians. Jesus is our wisdom. And as we study this book, we'll begin to flesh out what that means. So that's the first question addressed here. Where do these proverbs come from? They come from Solomon, addressed to his son, and they pointed to Jesus. Secondly, what are they for? This is verses 2 to 6. They are for attaining wisdom and discipline. Look at how that wisdom is described in verses 2 to 3. It's a whole life thing. Can you see that? It's about doing the right thing. It's about going beyond the rules, going beyond the law. I don't know how you feel about rules. You know, rules could be comforting, can't they? You kind of know where you stand. You want to know. I just want to know, should I do this or shouldn't I? Here's a rule. Okay, now I know whether I can do it or not. And you will find some laws and rules like that in the Bible. But usually those are concerned with the things that we ought not to do. They're the boundaries on our behaviour. You know, think of the Ten Commandments. You shall not worship other gods. You shall not steal. You shall not commit adultery or whatever it might be. But if those rules provide boundaries on our behaviour, actually there's a whole load of stuff within the boundaries that isn't nearly so clear. So put it this way, so, you know, you, if you're part of a small group, a home group, or, you know, th- think of that time when you go round and you have prayer requests. Does anybody ever say something like this? Do you know what? This week I really need you to pray for wisdom for me about whether I should kill my boss. Or, you know, my neighbour has just bought a really beautiful Mercedes soft top. It's absolutely fantastic. Just sitting there outside their house. And I know where they keep their spare key. And and I need wisdom as to whether I should enter their house when they're out and nick the car keys and steal the car. Please pray for me. I just don't know what to do. (laughs) See, the the thing is, there are laws in the Bible about murder and theft. But actually, that's not the kind of thing we talk about in those prayer times when we don't know what to do, is it? Actually, it's everything else in between where we desperately need wisdom. It it might be, who should I marry? Is there a rule for that? Can I open the Bible and find, oh yes, this is the person. Well, I can find some restrictions in the Bible on on who who I should marry and who who I shouldn't marry. But at, at face value, not much will tell me if this is the right person. Should I take the new job? Well, there probably are a few jobs that the Christians shouldn't do, like maybe president of the atheist society or something like that. But, you know, beyond that, how do you know whether this is the right thing for you to do when you're offered it or whatever it is? Or or, or how should I serve at church? How should I use my, my time, my free time? How should I spend my money? How should I support my parents as they get a bit older? How should I bring up my children? Huge questions sometimes. Well, we won't, find the, we won't be able to turn to a particular page in the Bible and go, yeah, look, there's the rule, there's the thing you ought to be doing. But still, we need to think as Christians what it looks like to be a Christian in those situations, and that is where we need wisdom. Many Christians find there's a kind of disconnect between Sunday morning and Monday morning, or Sunday evening and Monday morning. Maybe, you know, church and work seeming to occupy completely different worlds. How do you connect the two? That is where wisdom comes in. Wisdom is what we need to guide us. 
But what kind of thing then is this wisdom? Is it, is it a quick fix, instant thing where we just click our fingers and we get wisdom? Well, look at verse 4. God offers us a life of wisdom. Wisdom that you begin to find when you're young, verse 4. But verse 5, that you continue to need to find when you're old. You never take off the L plates. You never kind of go, yep, got it now, done wisdom, completed the course, got the certificate, put it up on the wall, I am wise. You don't get to do that. But I think increasingly in our culture, this is going, to get, going more and more against what we're used to and comfortable with. So in Chesham, I used to take our RE lessons, sometimes as a chaplain at local secondary school. And I remember asking a question to a group of young people. Where would Christians look for wisdom on how to live their lives? And, and to me, that's a kind of squirrel question. You know, you know the kind of thing where the Sunday school teacher asks the kids what's grey and furry and lives in trees and eats nuts the kids were all looking at each other going, I, I, it sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer's always Jesus. So they sort of, so I'll say that. And that's what I thought, I thought I was asking an obvious question like that. You know, where do you find wisdom? You know, come on guys, someone's just going to put your hand up and say the Bible. I know you're all holding back and you, you don't want to say it, but obviously the answer's the Bible, guys, isn't it? And a guy puts his hand up straight away and says, you know, where, where, where does a Christian find wisdom? On the internet, sir. <laughs> well, I should have seen that coming, I think. It's pretty pretty obvious but actually that that is where so many of us turn isn't it have you actually have you noticed what happens if you start typing in a question into google and you see all the other questions that people have asked and it suggests that you might be wanting to ask so i typed in why am i dot 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 and then you see what the questions people put in why am i and it offered me why am i always tired always cold so ugly (laughs) depressed and not losing weight. <laughs> See, we will go to Google to ask anything, won't we? And it might give you a quick answer, but will it give you wisdom? We see, wisdom isn't just the quick fix how-to guide. It is, verse 4, it is discretion. It's knowing what to do with that knowledge that you have. If you look, it's, it, it's prudence. I don't think in the 21st century, prudence is a particularly great word, is it? What is, what is prudence? It sounds a bit sort of Victorian, sort of, um, you know, stuck-up kind of prudence. A, a, a more helpful translation might be shrewd. And there's another word that's uh, uh, there that Google definitely can't help us with, which is discipline. Lifelong discipline. Discipline is about learning. It's, it's related to being a disciple, isn't it? It's about recognising that you are not wise that you need wisdom. And that may be why this is easily dismissed in a generation that expects to have everything right away. You know, that's, they, they invented squeezy tomato ketchup because of that, didn't they? You, know, you had, used to have glass bottles and you had to stand there and wait for it to come out. So they invented squeezy tomato ketchup so it could come out straight away. Just as a little symptom of wh- where our culture is at. Maybe that's a silly example. It is a silly example. <laughs> But the point is, you see, wisdom is not something like that. You can't bottle it up and say, here you go, here's something, you can have it straight away, click your fingers, there you've got it. It is something that is received over time. And that's how the Proverbs in the second half of the book work. So again, you, you know, maybe you've got to that and you, you, it's day 15 of your reading through Proverbs and you're in chapter 15 or whatever and, you, and, you, and you're reading through and you're thinking, well, you know, they, they, you, these, all these random Proverbs sort of glossing over you. Actually, they're, they're a bit like boiled sweets. They need to be sucked, they need to be pondered over. 
So here's one at random, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3. It is a man's honour to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. A man's honour to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. And you know, kind of think, oh yeah, that's obvious. We all know that. We all know we shouldn't argue. Come on, that's, that's easy. But can anyone say they've mastered that? Anyone say they've got that? And yeah, you know, I never have arguments. So I'm totally not a quarreller. Well, learning to live in peace and not quarrel is a, it's a lifelong lesson, isn't it? That you never stop learning. And that's just one proverb out of hundreds. One of the keys to proverbs is kind of to slow down and really think and ponder and let it sink into you and and through meditating on God's word let it sink into your heart and that is where the wisdom starts to change you and the more we study this kind of wisdom and the more we study these kind of descriptions of wisdom in verses like this the more you realize actually this wisdom came to be embodied not in Solomon not in Solomon's son, but in Jesus. And if you want to know in the end what wisdom looks like in practice, look at him. Because actually, wasn't he disciplined? Wasn't he shrewd? Didn't he do what is right and just just and fair, just as what it's described here in verses 2, 3, 4? Didn't he seek wisdom and value it? as he grew up as a a human being. See, that is ultimately where our search for wisdom should take us, to Jesus, perfectly wise. So so what are these Proverbs for? They're for giving us wisdom, a lifelong project that will influence every aspect of our lives. And then thirdly, and much more briefly, where do we start? Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So don't, don't get too hung up on the distinction between knowledge and wisdom here. We, you know, we often say, oh, you know, they're two different things. Actually, in Proverbs, they're, they're, they're pretty much the same thing. What it's about is it's, it's about truly knowing what it is to be wise. And it begins with the fear of the Lord. A bit like reading begins with learning the alphabet. You don't move on from the alphabet, do you, when, you, when you've learned to read? You, you, you always need the alphabet. It's foundational. That is where you start. And wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. That is the key verse for the whole book. It's saying that if you're not interested in wisdom, or if you equate it with quick-fix solutions we were thinking about earlier, you're a fool. Wisdom is all about the fear of the Lord. Now, what, what does the fear of the Lord mean? Of course, it doesn't mean being scared of, of God. You know, in one sense... We don't need to fear because Jesus has died and he's brought us into perfect friendship with God. We can approach God as Father without fear, in one sense. We have nothing to fear. But this is talking about fear in a different sense, like the children in Narnia who ask Mr. Beaver if Aslan the lion is safe. And he says, who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. And this is the Old Testament way of talking about what it means to say Jesus is Lord, having awe and respect for someone who is utterly powerful and yet is wonderfully on your side. 
See, that is the difference it makes to be a Christian, isn't it? To know that the God of the universe who made the world and holds the universe together just by a word, just as he created by a word. That God, when you trust in Jesus, is on your side. So fear him and live a wise life in response to him for what he's done. That is what Proverbs is calling us to. Proverbs says, don't be a fool. Humble yourself before this God and listen to him. What will that mean for the way that we conduct our lives? So often, actually, when we think about it in our lives, what we fear is not God. It's not the fear of the Lord that drives us. It's the fear of maybe other people. It's the fear of our performance at work. It's the fear of what our friends think of us. It's the fear of losing the things that we love or the people that we love. It's the fear of uh, things going wrong or whatever it is. Actually, Proverbs says, no, start with the fear of the Lord and everything else will fall into place. Do we give, therefore, our attention to where it's needed? Do we crave the the wisdom of God in his word as much as we crave the sports pages, the opinions of the talking heads, the the advice and good opinion of friends and colleagues, do we start with the fear of the Lord? It's the beginning of a new year, isn't it? It's a good time to assess our our, our patterns of maybe reading the Bible and how we spend time with God through the week. He's starting with the fear of the Lord. I'm very happy to chat with people if you want advice on what that might look like practically to get back into the habits of listening to God and his word and praying. Now we're only beginning to scratch the surface of what all this looks like in Proverbs. We'll go deeper over the coming weeks. But if you're here and you're visiting or you're looking into things, you're not sure where you stand with God, just understand this. You see, wisdom isn't working out life for ourselves. Wisdom is about recognising that we are not wise, that we need someone who is wise. And we need him not just to show us the way as an example, but actually we need him to live a perfectly wise life and to die a death for fools like us who've messed up and not been wise. That's what we all need to hear as we consider what it means to be wise. As Paul puts in that reading from 1 Corinthians, are we going to go with the wisdom of the age, the wisdom of the world, which despises weakness and humility and humbling ourselves before God, or are we going to go with the wisdom of the cross, where we see the wisest man who ever lived dying because he loves us? What a foolish image. And yet it's as we gaze on him at the cross that we find our pride melts and our life of wisdom can begin. So let's pause and have a moment to reflect on that before I lead us in a, in a prayer together.